We're going to continue to springboard from chapter 3, verses 17 through um, 21. We're looking at this from the perspective of the enemies of the cross. And last week we introduced what will be, God willing, the first of three messages about the lawful use of the law. There is a lawful use of the law and there's an unlawful use of the law. Last week we introduced the lawful use of the law. We asked some texts to go along with it and God willing we'll look and, and, uh, and plumb that this morning as well. So, in reverence and respect for God's holy word, will you stand with me as we read from Philippians chapter 3, if you're physically able. Philippians chapter 3 verse 17, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Thank you very much. That's the word of the living God. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we ask you, Lord, that you will uh, give us hearts to hear, ears to hear, that you will plow, open the, plow the soil of our heart up and till it up, and make us ready to receive the implanted word. Thank you for giving it to us, Lord. And God, thank you for this revelation. We know that your revelation is what gives us uh, insight of what we would not otherwise know, and that is, among other things, the condition of our own heart. So God, let us not look at the Scriptures and go, wow, I know somebody that needed that. But God, let's look at the Scriptures and say, God, what do you want to say to me? And Lord, may you not, again we pray, we want to look there and let the Scriptures look at us, not to be informed, but to be transformed. And we thank you, Lord, for the promise and hope that there is in that transformation. And it is the catalyst, that the catalyst is your word empowered by your spirit who wrote it. In the sweet name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, maybe see. Thank you so much. Embedded in our hearts, God willing, this truth that we've been talking about and sharing for a couple of weeks now, and that is the gospel uh, starts with the character and nature of God and not the character and nature of man. We often make the starting point man, and when we make the starting point man, we can, and in church culture in the United States, we have given in to the temptation of making the gospel a sales pitch rather than revelation. And making a sales pitch, and there are salesmen in here, there are salespeople in here, you do what you can to close the deal. Now, the salespeople in this room, I trust, don't lie to close the deal. But you certainly are going to put things and cast things in light to appeal to the need of the, of the, uh, of the customer and to, to, to uh, sell them or convince them that whatever you're offering meets that need. I think there are five of them in sales vernacular uh, that uh, that you try to see which one your product appeals to. What is it, Michael? Is it security? Um, aren't there? Is that? Am I wrong about that? There's like five. Okay. Okay. Well, name a couple of them. Would be security, um, safety or security, felt need, ego. Fear of loss, okay. Okay, so you're, you're looking at it from the standpoint of what's their appetite and how can my product uh, 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 satisfy it. And we've done the gospel that way. We, we have, we've started with man, and by doing that, we're trying to determine churches survey communities to find out what people want in a church so that they can turn around and craft the church based on their appetite. you imagine that? I mean, corporate America has invaded the church. Well, the gospel is not about satisfying a man's appetite because that appeals to the flesh. The gospel is about ripping apart 
uh, and breaking a person's flesh to let them know that absent the activity of God and His benevolence expressed through His Son, you are going to be judged for your sin and you are going to wind up separated from Him in hell forever and you will deserve to be there. And so because we make the starting point man, which we do almost in everything now, it's the starting point man, and we minister to quote-unquote felt needs, and we completely, completely gut out the fact that the gospel starts with the character and nature of God. And that character and nature is expressed all throughout the scriptures in prominent themes. But one of the ways that we've been looking at it is this. In Isaiah 45:21, and uh, if you'll look there with us, let's go to Isaiah 45:21. You'll see the message, you'll see those that uh, on your notes, and this is kind of a review of where we've been. And it's Isaiah 45:21. Our Lord um, is contrasting the his character and nature with that of idols, which are there are no such thing as idols, they're just human ideas crafted by human imagination, which really is idolatry really is human worship. That's really what it is. It just makes it look better if you come up with something outside you. It makes you look more thoughtful. But he's he's contrasted his true character and nature with that of the idol, and he says in verse twenty one, Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? This is not new. From the beginning, who has told it from that time? Have, I, have not I, the Lord? And there is no other God beside me. And here it is. I am a just God, and I'm also a Savior. There is none besides me. Now here's what we've done with that. We've jumped over here. We've apologized for His justice or ignored it altogether. Because we think God needs to be shielded from disrepute. And we've turned over here and all we've done is focus on when we did focus on it or when we do de declare, dare to declare the gospel. And we focus on the fact that he's a savior. Now the, the peril, and it is peril, of that kind of notion is, is that when you completely ignore his justice, there's absolutely no way you can understand why he did what he did to sacrifice his son. You can't understand it, and you certainly can't appreciate it. The vernacular nowadays has become, like we talked about before, WWJD has become, why would Jesus, what would Jesus do? But the question that the unregenerate man, lost man, needs to know and needs to have answered is, why would Jesus die? And absent the character and nature of God, you can't answer that question. You'll find hardly, we've talked about this time and again, but you will rarely run across someone who does not believe in Jesus. Now that's, I know, but they might not believe in Him as Savior, but you'll hardly ever come across somebody that did, do, does not believe that Jesus was an historic figure. Even, even part of Islam and their lies and their lie and damnable theology recognizes Jesus as a prophet. And in our approach to the gospel, we pretty much reduce him to that. He came with a special message to tell us how to live. His message was radical. Ted, he said things like, turn the other cheek. He said, go the second mile. He said, if somebody offers, uh, lend to somebody don't expect payment in return. He said this, loves people, and we go, well, I love people. No, no, let's take it further. Love people who even are your enemies. And so we, we reduce his life to that of a nice set of teaching that would make society better if we just practiced it. Was his teaching radical? Absolutely. It was radical not because he's radical. It's radical because it exposes how far gone we are. It exposes us to be the rebels that we are. The murderers and the thieves and the, the drunkards that we are. And so I want you to look at this. Look at the handout we just handed out. <clears throat> We're talking about the loose, lawful use of the law. Last week, and I encourage you, if you weren't here, <clears throat> uh, strike this message up on the podcast because we were talking about the lawful, lawful use of the law, and here's where we went. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter eight, I mean, chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Let's go over there. 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11. I'm going to turn this around before we get over here. 
This we're talking about now is evangelism. Let's go back over here. And this is where the gospel starts. It does not start at the cross. It starts at the holy, just nature of God and the sinful nature of man that his just nature exposes. And so therefore we go over here and we look at it and he is a just God and therefore men need to repent. We were at a concert the other night and we had a great time. I mean we had a great It was some of the greatest music I've ever heard in my life. And it was the story of God from Genesis to Revelation. And then they got to the end of it and they presented what purported to be the gospel. And he not one time, not one time did he use the word repent. Not one time. Didn't even call out that we were sinners. I sat there broken hearted. There must have been, we're in Phillips Arena. And there must, there must have been, I'm guessing, I, I'd say easy, easy 10,000 people there. And, and right in front of everybody, a famous guy, if I called his name, you'd recognize him just like that. And he got up there and made a sham of the gospel. Because see, half the gospel is no gospel at all. And we run right over here and talk about the cross and Jesus' death on the cross and we reduce it to the fact that he did that for people who really basically deserve it. Because after all, we're kind of a good bunch of people. And the focus is on love. And he said, he, uh, this is God's story. And God has invited you to, he wants to take your story and make your story part of his story. That was the gospel. And I'm thinking, no one in here is broken over their sin because they've not yet been told they were a sinner. He didn't even mention the cross. I mean, at least sometimes we mention the cross. We might, we might just jump right over there, but there was none of that. None of that. And then had everybody bow and pray a prayer and say, God, I want to be a part of your story. Now, we had just heard some of the best music that anybody could ever... We heard some of the best singers that God has ever made on this planet. And they presented the gospel in song. It was awesome. And I was thinking, man, somebody surely at the end of this is going to get up and explain what all that meant. And somebody's going to present the gospel. And some of you talking about, <gasps> it was like, man, I like it low and inside. You know, and you're, oh, man, you just throw it low and inside. And buddy, those singers threw it low and inside. And you're just going, <laughs> I can't wait because I'm going to knock it right out of the park. And I thought, man, somebody step up to the plate and present the gospel. And they got up there and presented a bunch of gobbledygook and did not even get within a zip code of the gospel. And I thought, what a shame. It's not like we came here to a hockey game and all of a sudden you got to the end of it and somebody came up and said, by the way, boo! We're going to present the gospel. And they say, well, no, we didn't come here for the gospel. Those people came there to hear about God's story through the Bible and it was the plate was set. And I'm thinking, when do you ever have any plan to get to the gospel? Because you've not got there yet. And we walked away and nobody heard the gospel. Nobody. I thought, God, that's one of the reasons why you had me here tonight. Broke my heart. I sat there in my chair and I'm telling you right now, just broken hearted. I thought, my goodness. He didn't, even, he didn't even do this right and he didn't even flirt with this. There is a lawful use of the law. And I want you to look at it right here. Look at 1 Timothy 1.8. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for the murders of fathers and murders of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious, wait a minute now, according to the glorious legalism of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. According to the glorious what? Gospel that was committed to my trust. Now last week, and this is our review, murders of fathers and mothers is another way of saying uh, they violated the fifth commandment, which is honor your father and mother. Manslayers is another way of saying these are violators of the sixth commandment, which is, says you shall not murder. Fornicators and sodomites is a violation of the seventh commandment, which means you shall not, says you shall not commit adultery. Kidnappers is a violation of the eighth commandment, which says you shall not steal because theft of children was common during that era and it is today. For liars and perjurers is obviously a 
indictment on those who bear false witness against their neighbor. That's Exodus 20.16. And when he says any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine is a violation of the Tenth Commandment because the Tenth Commandment says you shall not covet. And the only reason people promote false doctrine is because they covet something. Most of the time it's the favor of men and most often, even more than that, it's money. False teachers peddle a false gospel because they want you to think more of them than you think of the biblical Jesus. If I can come away from this exercise and you think more of me than you think of Jesus and I've got to change the truth to do it, so be it. There's a special place in hell for that. There's a special judgment reserved for that. There is. So you round it out and basically what he's saying is if you're a lie, if you lie habitually, you are a Okay? If you steal, you are a If you kill, you are a He's just giving labels to the violation of the 10 commandments. That's all he's doing. And he's saying that those commandments are for unrighteous people. Who are unrighteous people? Who are, but who are positionally unrighteous before God? Unsaved people. What he's saying is, is the law is for... Get this now. Stay with me. The law is for unsaved people. Did you hear that? The law is for unsaved people. Alright? We preach law to the unregenerate. We preach judgment. And we don't do that because we're happy that judgment awaits them. We do that because we're honest enough and love them enough to tell them. So we take the Ten Commandments and we use that to hoping and praying that God through the power of the Holy Spirit is going to bring about conviction so that they'll repent of their sins and the cross will mean something to them. Now, watch this. Positionally speaking, like we talked about last week. Positionally speaking. Positionally speaking. Not practically speaking. Positionally now. Listen. Before God, you're standing before God. If, you are, if you've repented toward God and put faith in Jesus Christ, you're standing, you're standing before God is, is that you're justified. Did you know God declares you righteous? And me. If you're repentant toward God and you put faith in His Son. You're not going to yet be righteous. That's practical. You are declared righteous. Pardon me. Amen, Brother Lewis. <laughs> Praise God, Brother Lewis. Thank you very much. Hallelujah! You know what that means? You know what that means? That means that the verdict has been handed down. And for those who repent toward God and put faith in His Son, the verdict from heaven is not pardon, not forgiven. The verdict from heaven is not guilty. I am going to do it. I tell you one thing, this church has got a future. Amen? Thank God. Listen to me. Think about that for a minute. You have been declared. Is that because you're not guilty? Is it? Or is it because God's perfect judgment against sin, completely accurate judgment against sin, has been fully satisfied and appeased through the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son, and you are free. Pardon means that you did it, but we're going to let you off the hook. Forgiveness means that you did it, but we're going to forgive you. We're going to cancel the debt. Justification by faith means you are not guilty. You have been declared innocent. Amen? 
And He cannot prosecute you again. God's not going to prosecute you again. He can't bring you up on charges again. The court from heaven. If God justifies you, let me ask you a question. Paul asked it. If God justifies you, who is He who condemns? You want to take it to a higher court? Is there one? There's not one, is there? Mr. Tom, aren't you grateful? Amen. Praise God. All right, watch this now. Look. It says, you go over this with your children. God's a just God. Look at your notes. According to Romans chapter 3, verses 23-26, the Bible says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. Watch this. This two times the word, three times the word demonstrate has been used in Romans in the English translation. Here's one of them. He did this to demonstrate his what? He did this to demonstrate that he's a just God. Now, what? How, why does that demonstrate his justice? Why does the cross demonstrate God's justice? He must punish sin. If God was ever going to make an exception for anyone, it would have been for His Son. You think about it. Psalm 22, verse 1, said 800 years before Jesus said it on the cross, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? You know why? God the Father and God the Holy Spirit turned their back on God the Son for the very first and only time. And it was because of Brandon's sin. That's why. Because Brandon's sin and my sin became Jesus' sin. Jesus was credited with my sin. And rather than God saying, well, wait a minute now, son, there's far more good in you than there is in evil. There is evil. And I'm going to let you off the hook. And just before the last heartbeat took place, He let Him off the cross. Is that what happened? God crushed His Son because He had to. If God says in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden and you eat of it and you shall die, somebody is going to die. The moment God goes back on that, He's no longer just. That's it. It's not that God punishes sin, friends. It is that God must punish sin. Any good judge would. Now, that's why you want to run around the building. It's because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus was credited with my sin and through repentant faith, through the Holy Spirit, and trust in His Son, I, was credited with His righteousness. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. If I knew y'all to sit me up on, I would have run around a bit. I know y'all behind me. Thank you for that. Listen, He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance, God, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Here's what's happening to God. This is what's happening to God throughout the Old Testament. Satan's over there going, wait a minute. Moses gets drunk in a drunken stupor in the aftermath of your judgment and you hang out with that kind of crowd? Abraham lies twice about his wife and you hang out with that crowd? David commits adultery and murder? Is these your friends? Are these who you fraternize with? And God's just saying, just wait. Just wait. There's a plan. I'm moving it. I'm moving it. You mean to tell me you hang out with a crowd like this? He still does that. Yeah, you could could put those labels on me. And he said, just wait. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. It's on its way. He's on his way. He's on his way. And all the while, Satan's with bated breath going, he ain't going to do anything about this. But I know him. I've been in his presence. But you ain't going to do anything about this, are you? How can you be God and let this go on? How can those claims about you being God and righteous and holy and all of that, how can you continue that and yet fraternize with this bunch? And the Lord said, just wait. Just wait. Let me tell you something right now. It wasn't the devil that offered up Jesus on the cross. It was God. The devil tried to keep him from going there. And then one day God poured all of that out on his son. That was accumulating. 
on that end. Everything That drunken stupor with Noah? Hey, Lot? Let's don't even get into what Lot did. Let's don't even go there. I couldn't say publicly and go into it the heinous sin of Lot. But yet the Bible calls him three times in Second Peter. Righteous. And that's how I believe God sees me. That's how I've acted. Uh, Lindsay's... He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that at all. He said, my son, Lindsay, is righteous because I have credited him with the righteousness of my son. And I declare that unashamedly. I did it at the baptism. I did it at the Mount of Transfiguration. And I did it when I called him forth from the grave. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that's been credited to me. You want to run around and try it again? Alright, so he demonstrated his justice. See, he demonstrated his justice. Watch it, see? Okay, he left those unpunished. But no, 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 they weren't unpunished. They did get, he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so he could be this. Just, he could maintain his justice and still make the unjust just. And God figured out a way to do that. The devil thought he had him. Aha, I got you now. I know you're holy and you love these people. And now I've convinced them to sin against you. And I know you're just. And you can't put up with that. And I've gotten you. I usurped your authority. I convinced them to do it. And now I'm the God of this world. Which he is. Little G. Little G. And he said, I've got you. Because see, I know you can't let them off the hook. And God said, oh no. Don't worry about it. i got a plan in place before you ever did this. Matter of fact, I knew it was going to happen and already did it. So God demonstrated His justice on the cross. Go, th go through this with your children and say, listen, on the cross, God demonstrated His justice because He is a what? You can say it. Just God. That's fill in. Fill it in. Will you, please? On the cross, God demonstrated His justice because He is a just God. And men, therefore, need to what? Believe? Repent. Repent is the first word of the gospel. I heard a guy who has sold millions of books. And if I called his name, you'd know exactly who he is. Get up the other night in front of 10,000 people after hearing the most beautiful God-centered music I believe I've ever heard. I cried through the whole thing. Thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a gift for us to go from a family in this church. Thoroughly enjoyed it. At the end of it, he got up there and what and claimed Meredith to present the gospel and never used that word. What's the first word that John the Baptist said? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What's the first word out of Jesus' mouth when he gave began his public ministry? Let me fill it in for you. Repent. Repent. There it is right there. Repent. Okay? Because he's just, right? Go over this with your children. Don't you dare not go over this with your children. You're going to be held accountable if you don't go over this with your children. Alright, now so, God is a just God. On the cross, He demonstrated His justice because He is a just God and men there, therefore need to repent. That, that verse, Acts 20, 21, is the gospel in a nutshell. Let's go look at it. Turn with me to Acts 20, 21. Are you there? I know we're still going over some ground. We're still in review of the last message. Wow. Okay, Acts 20, 21. You ready? The Apostle Paul, dealing with Ephesian elders, was encouraging them and exhorting them. And look at verse 21. He said, here's what I did. I taught you publicly and from house to house. And here's what I testified to. To everybody, whether you were Jew or whether you were Greek, the same message, the message was the same. And what was it? Repentance toward God because God's what? Just. And, and, and what? Faith toward Jesus Christ because He's also a Savior. You don't understand His justice. You certainly don't understand His cross. You don't understand His justice. You don't understand the, mean, the meaning of this. You don't understand His justice. It casts it cast a disparaging word on the character and nature of God. God just killed His Son. He's a bad father. It makes Him a dysfunctional family. God, just, God delighted in killing His Son? God sacrificing His Son? It, may cross, it makes the cross murder instead of sacrifice if He's not just. But if He's just, this makes this 
a manifestation of the unfathomable riches of the grace, mercy, and compassion and love of God. Amen? So repent toward God. Now, God also, on the cross, demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So He first demonstrated His justice, then He demonstrated His love on the same cross. And, it, and then look at the bottom. On the cross, God demonstrated His love because He is a what? A Savior. He's a Savior. Alright? And men therefore need to what? Place faith toward Jesus Christ. That's the Gospel. Repentance toward God. And, see it right there? And, faith toward Jesus Christ. To, to focus in on this, for the neglect of that, is legalism. To focus in on this, to the neglect of that, is insufficient. It's heresy. It is a downsizing of the gospel. Now, most of you, and by the way, when it says that God communicated this from the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, when he told him, he said, eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what's going to happen to you? You're going to die. The result of what? Their physical death that ultimately resulted in their spiritual death, which is far worse. And what was the judgment upon God upon that? They get to stay in the garden. They get kicked out. They get kicked out. Why? Because God's just. But then, what does God do? He clothes them with something. He kills some animals and makes a sacrifice and clothes them, which is a picture of what He'll one day do through His Son. He killed. God shed first blood in the Bible. Kills the sacrifice. Clothes them with what would be the equivalent for you and I, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And then, I used to have a, a white suit. Disgusting. It was white all the way. It had a black, you know, silk shirt that went with it. Don't you go back and look at some of the things you used to wear and go, how in the world? What was I thinking? You don't ever do that? I do. I remember playing the bass guitar with a white shirt. I mean, I thought I was cool. You know, I was happening. And so, I still had that. And for years, it fit. It doesn't now. And then I got a black suit. Okay? And one day in our class, back when we were in our Sunday school class together, Ken, I was wearing the black suit. You can just imagine that. If, this, if those suits still fit me, I'd do this this morning. Well, I had, a, a, I had my coat, the white coat sitting up here, and I had the black coat on and then I come over here to the cross and take the black coat off and put it up there and take the white coat and put it on me. See, when you accepted Jesus Christ, He took the black coat up there and put the white one on you. And now you're clothed in His righteousness. You're not going to one day be righteous. You are now. Amen? Alright, now watch this. On the cross, God demonstrated His love because He is also a what? Savior. And therefore, men, this is the gospel. Repent toward God. Put faith in His Son. Remember what he said? He said, from the beginning, this is not new stuff. This is not New Testament stuff. It's New Testament. But it didn't start in the New Testament. Look. When he gave the law on Mount Sinai, what did he give with it? We went over this over and over and over again. We, went, we did, 50, I bet, 15, 20, 30 weeks on the tabernacle. What did God give them at the same time when he gave the Ten Commandments? We focus so much on the law, don't we? Remember that? We were talking about it. Were y'all here with that tabernacle journey? And we talked about the fact that there's so much emphasis. Okay, here it is, Lynn. There's so much emphasis on the fact that Moses got the law on Mount Sinai. There are two or, I think, three chapters in the Bible that deal with creation. Important theme, topic, specifically with creation. Three chapters in the Bible. Fifty. Fifty chapters in the Bible are given to a detailed explanation of the tabernacle. The Ten Commandments were given in Exodus chapter what? Twenty. One chapter summarized the whole Ten have the Ten Commandments. Fifty chapters. Tabernacle. Why did God give them both at the same time? Because He knew they were going to sin. He said, "Here are the Ten Commandments." And here is a way to appease my judgment for the fact that you're going to break them. All at the same time. 
Why? Because from ancient time, God has declared, I'm a just God through the law and through the tabernacle, and I'm a Savior. Now, it could either be, if we don't believe this about the character and nature of God, it could either believe that we're immature in our faith and we really don't understand it, we need to grow thereby, which is what we're trying to do this morning. Or it could be you're not saved in the first place. But I want, I, want to, I want to share, regardless of which way you are, I want you to listen to this now. Think about this. If the law is for the lawless and insubordinate and profane, is that what the Bible says? Is that the, it says the law is profitable if you use it lawfully. Does that mean we're not supposed to use it? It just means use it properly. Okay? What does that imply? It implies that there's an improper use of the law, doesn't it? If it says you've got to use it properly, it implies there that you can use it improperly. Now, we touched on this last week. And here's where we're going to go for a little bit here. I've got to get these close together because... Because we do not communicate the gospel using the law. Because we don't do that. We often see superficial commitments. I don't mean that people absent that understanding don't get saved. I don't mean that. But because they get in, let's say they do get saved, or let's say they have a a, a, a confidence they really ought not to have in their salvation. Okay? Is that possible? Doesn't the Bible go out of its way to say here are some things you'll look like if you're saved? A changed life does not secure your salvation. A changed life is evidence of your salvation. Okay? Doesn't secure it. If you go back, well, I changed. Ah, uh-uh, wait a minute now. There are plenty of people that change. There are people that beat alcoholism without Jesus. Is that not true? Okay. Alright, so watch now. Belief precedes change. Your changed life is not your security. Your changed life is evidence of a profession of faith in Christ. If it's belief plus anything else, anything you put beyond belief is heresy. I don't care what it is. I don't care. You can make it as easy. It's belief plus whatever. Fill in that blank. You put whatever you want beyond belief. If It's repentance toward God and it's belief and faith toward Jesus Christ. Now some of you are going to get sideways about that. And that's the reason Paul almost got killed everywhere he went. Because everybody was going, well, wait a minute now. That's not enough. That's not enough. You know, we've got the law over here. Are you saying that the law's no good? That it's not from God? Are you saying that you can take grace and exploit it and go out and murder and maim and kill and still go to heaven? Are you that? Is, is your view of righteousness that low? Let me tell you this. Anybody that would believe that you can still sin on the other side of genuine belief and perhaps not go to heaven, it's not because they have a low view of, 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 um, of righteousness. It's they have a low view of the sufficiency of Christ. And in so doing that, they do have a low view of righteousness. And so, we use the law up here. Because we do not preach law and judgment, now why will we not do that? It's offensive. It is offensive. This is, and let me tell you this. This is a subtle trap that we can all get into. I want to walk away having done my job to share the gospel and kind of just ease on out of here. I mentioned Jesus. Jesus! And I mentioned cross. Cross! Like that. But I'm going to try to just ease on out of here because if we get into this sin thing, that won't be appreciated. See, here's the thing. We want to walk away from the, the, from the exchange with that person thinking more about me than they do think about God's Son. Now that's flesh. Flesh will use even spiritual things to exalt itself at other people's expense. Well, let me tell you how tragic, what tragic, how tragic that is when you're dealing with the Gospel. You're dealing with people's eternity. Let me say this to you. 
Doctrine without practice is dangerous. But practice without doctrine is deadly. Doctrine without practice is dangerous. But practice without doctrine is deadly. Because if people believe error and they walk through the rest of their life with some false assurance about where they stand with God, they'll be judged eternally for that. Now here's what we do in Christian circles. We've got everything messed up. We've convoluted everything. Let me tell you why we've convoluted everything. And we use human wisdom to justify it. We've convoluted everything because we don't spend any time here. Right here. Remember the Sunday we had the Lord's Supper a couple months ago? And we went to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And we said, you know what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches that you're not supposed to be in fellowship with a believer who doesn't act like it. But you are supposed to be in fellowship with lost people. And you know, we do the exact, we do the exact opposite. We run. There's a lost person. Run! And we run from the hills. And then yet, we're going to fraternize and be in fellowship with people who claim to be saved and don't remotely act like it. And God says the opposite is true. First Corinthians chapter five. Preach the whole message on that. Go back and look at it on the podcast. We've inverted it. Now here's what we do because of the way we present the gospel, if we ever get around to it. This is the way we do it. We don't use the law. We don't even talk about God's justice and holy nature. God's love, God's love, God's love. God's love, God's God. God's love, God's love. Grace, 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 God. God's love. God is love, grace, grace, mercy, God. Grace, compassion, God. Absent is just nature. That makes the cross and God brutally treating his son there. A notion in the mind of an unregenerate person that somehow or another God ought to have done that. Because after all, I really deserve it. But because we don't use the law and because we don't preach judgment, judgment is coming. I, I'm going to say it right here, right now. Judgment is coming. The great white throne judgment is real. Everyone who appears there, there'll be a search. It won't take long for God to do it. He won't depend on Google. He will do a search through the book of life and every name that is not written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire with the devil and his minions forever. And I'm going to tell you something right now. In the ebb and flow of things, we really live as if we don't believe that. Do you pray like you believe that? Do you share the gospel like you believe that? Do you turn the other cheek like you believe that? Do you hold on to your petty pride for any reason? Name it. Take a trip to the cross and make a case. Build a case that says that I can legitimately look at the cross of Jesus and hold on to my pride in any measure. Any measure. I don't care how. I don't care if it's a speck. They mistreat me at, 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 uh, at work. That you don't know what these people treat me like. Hmm. Hmm. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. He doesn't know what it's like to be falsely accused. He doesn't like know what it's like to come to his own and his own receive him not. He doesn't know what it's like to be spit on. He doesn't know what it's like to be blasphemed. He doesn't know what it's like to hurt. He doesn't know what it's like to be misunderstood. He don't he doesn't know what it's like to be hated. Now here's what we do. Now watch it. I want you to go with me right here. Here's what we wind up doing. Listen to me. Because we don't preach judgment, and because we don't preach the wrath of God that comes upon the unrepentant, and because we don't use the law to show people clearly guilty, we get superficial commitments to Jesus. I'm not saying they're false, but they're, they're feigned. They're not very deep. So here's what we do. This is how we accommodate. This is how we invert everything. You know what we do? Y'all watch this now. Watch me. You with me? So we see them over here and we look and we go, you know what? There's no change or very little. Or there seems to be a waffling back and forth here. So here's what we'll do. Let's go grab the law and let's use it over here. Let's use the law over here. This is what we'll do. We'll use the law on this side. Because here's what, the, here's what they've not discovered. We need some rules. 
So here's what we'll do. We'll say, go witness! And the whole world is going to hell and it's your fault if you don't do something about it. Thou shalt go witness. And we use the law right here. And we abuse it. That is an unlawful use of the law. At Alcoholic Anonymous, and if you've got somebody who goes to AA meetings or Google Anonymous or Prescription Drug Anonymous or whatever, or Gardening Anonymous or whatever they might be, the first affirmation they have to make when they, when they get up there is what? I'm an alcoholic. You know why? Because based on carnal reasoning, they're saying if you get too free, you'll slip back into bondage. So don't ever own up to freedom. Because if you do, it'll be the entryway to going back into bondage. Did you know that's as contrary to the Bible as it can possibly be? Did you know the Apostle Paul was ministering to a bunch of, and I just say this because I'm one of them, a bunch of gooberheads in First and Second Corinthians? If I was going to name a church something, it wouldn't be Corinth Baptist Church. Because what you're saying up front is we want to be divisive. We want to put up with sexual immorality. We want to get drunk at the Lord's table. We want to uh, uh, sue one another in court. This is the kind of church we want. Because that's how they were acting. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 goes through a laundry list of all the things that they've done. Did you not know and do not be deceived? Neither murderers, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor manslayers, nor sodomites, or homosexuals, or, or any other such person. Don't you know they won't inherit the kingdom of God? But what does he say in the next, the next verse? Such were some of you. But you've been washed. You've been clean. What, through the law? No. The law just showed that you needed to be clean. The law's a mirror. You put it in front of your face, and you see the blemishes there, and go, man, when did that pop up? I got a scar. I got some kind of something to put up on my cheek right there. And I try to wash that thing out. It just flat won't come out. And I reckon it's an old age spot or something. I'm going to go to my dermatologist friend. He's a, he's a, he's a Christian. See if he can do something about it. But there's a spot on my cheek, and it aggravates the tar out of me. But see here, the reason I know it's there is because I look in the mirror. Or either one of you tell me. Don't do that. That's what the law does. You take a look at the mirror and you see the filth that is you. Now here's what we encourage people to do. Take the mirror and wash your face. If we physically lived the way that we preach and taught the Word of God, when we go into the, these bathrooms, we need to disconnect those mirrors and put soap and water on them and start rubbing our face because that's how we act. As if the law can something sound of a clean you. The law can only reveal you to be dirty. But the blood of Christ will clean you. Now, after it cleans you, this no longer has a claim on you. We're not under law. We are under grace. And I'm going to tell you something right now. Whatever ism that you had because of Jesus, it's a wasm. And you might still struggle with the ism. But as long as you think it's an ism, you'll never receive the truth that it's a wasm. And if you don't receive the truth that it's a wasm, the victory of walking in the fact that it is a wasm will elude you. That's exactly what will happen. So what do we do? We come up with these great ideas. Well, guess what? They're not committed. They're not surrendered. Pastors are tempted to do this big time. Offerings are down. You know, we preach grace. People are going to quit giving. So we'll guilt them into giving. You're guilty! You don't get it, do you? And we do all of that crazy mess talking to the elect, to the body of Christ. I'm going to tell you something right now. You start acting elect, it's because you realize you are. You start acting redeemed just because you realize you are. You start acting holy because you realize you are. You start acting consecrated because you realize you are. You start walking in the Spirit. We do not serve in the oldness of the letter. We serve in the newness of the Spirit. Everybody wants a rule. Give me a rule. Give me a rule. Give me a code. Give me a creed. You know why? Because a creed is easier to follow than to lie down in a casket. The flesh would rather follow a creed. 
The flesh would rather have a code. It wants one. Give me a rule book because it just makes me all the more determined to follow it. Just tell me I can't do something. Do you know how many things have been done in this world? Seemingly noble things just because somebody was told they couldn't do it? Now what is that? It's the operation of the flesh. Just tell me. I'll show you. I'll spit in your eye. I'll show you. I'll invent it. I'll get this out. I'll, hey, it's me. I'm the captain of my soul. I am the determiner of my destiny. So we don't walk in freedom because we don't know of our bondage. And I can tell you this. This is just a fact. Apostle Paul said this. Oh, we do some, we do some other cute things with this too. This is how, we're cutesy wootsy. Pastors are good at this. They're really good. They really are. Uh, they'll have you in more bondage than you can imagine. You know why? Because they're not free. That's why. So you get in here with the prison with me. And we'll both be miserable together. Because I can't stand freedom. Death can't stand life. And life. Let me tell you this. Here's what happens. This is how we get cutesy-wootsy with it, Ted. Okay, that's a redneck term for cute. Okay. Alright, here's what we do. <clears throat> this is what we wind up doing. You're still... That's, that just refers to the ceremonial law. When, when the Bible says that you're no longer under law, but you're under grace, it just refers to ceremonial law. You know. Chad no longer has to kill his goat. You don't have to worry about raising a proper goat because they have no plans to kill their goat. Not to sacrifice for their sins. They might kill him for other reasons, but it won't be to save him. Or it won't be to appease God's judgment. You, your goat, y'all's goats can feel good. The looking out goat has been set free. Hallelujah. He's going to get to live. Oh, that's the ceremonial law. Let me ask you a question. If you're free and I'm free, and that verse is reduced to ceremonial law, let's go to Romans chapter 7 right quick like. Right quick like. That refers to the washings. That refers to the, the uh, specific instruction about the goats and the pigeons and the bulls and, and the, uh, the, the operation around the tabernacle. That refers to all of that. That's ceremonial law. We're still under moral law. We're still under moral law. That's not true. Alright, now watch this. Look at Paul. He personalizes. This is personal testimony, by the way. Acts chapter, I mean, Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary. Listen, this is what you're thinking right now. Maybe. Oh, Brother Lenz, you're, you're, you're really tearing up the law over here. And you're really, you're really just making a mess out of it. You, is the law a bad thing? Let me tell you this. Anybody or anything that points me to Jesus Christ is not a bad thing. Amen? The law points you to Jesus, not to itself. Alright? So, wait a minute now. So, so the Apostle Paul anticipated those kind of thoughts and those kind of objections. He heard them all the time. They almost got him killed everywhere we went. I would not have known sin except through the law. I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Let me ask you a question. Is that ceremonial law? Is it? That's top ten. That's on God's hit parade. That's billboard. That's top ten. Thou shalt not covet. And he used the moral law to prove he's no longer under law. This was his signature sin. This bothered him more than anything. Donna was talking about it a while ago. He said, how are you going to make it tonight with all the desserts around? Now she's going to get mad at me for saying that publicly. That's, that's paraphrasing. She didn't say it that way. How are you going to continue to try to lose weight and everybody's got desserts around? Thanks a lot, by the way. Okay, here I am trying to lose weight, and y'all are just going to do all this tonight. Shame on you. Y'all repent. Y'all need to repent. All right. Here's what I told her, though. Here's what I, let me tell you. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't get overweight because of dessert. 
I got overweight because of fried chicken and potato chips and Coke. <laughs> you understand? So I could just meander through in liberty tonight and look at your pecan pie and smirk at it. But if you bring, if you bring some fried chicken tenders, I'm in trouble. You hear me? You bring some French fries, I'm done. Okay? Now, the Apostle Paul, dessert didn't bother him. But I tell you what did. Covetousness bothered him. Let me tell you why it bothered him. Hang on a second. Watch this now. Now see, I can't... You go look at the Damascus Road conversion. Jesus comes right to him. The reason he does is because he's a Jew. Alright? He comes right to him. He strikes him down the Damascus Road. What does Jesus say? Now, if I, I don't. If you look at that and go, Jesus didn't say, "Thou shalt not covet." It, it's not that. It's not that overt. It's more covert. Let me tell you what Jesus said to him. Why are you persecuting me? All right. Now, was he persecuting Jesus directly? He's persecuting the church. You persecute the church. Same thing. Because he's we're his bride. Amen. You know what he was doing when he was peeling away the condition of his heart? I know why you're doing it. You're doing it because you're a covetous man. And what you're doing it for is, is you want to advance in the ranks of Judaism in order to impress other people and line your pockets. You follow what you follow. You say it's because you want a righteousness that's obtained by the law. That sounds good and you dress it up spiritually. But I know where you're at, buddy. And let me tell you what's wrong with you. You covet the favor of men. So much so that you would take your offering and throw it into the offering plate so that it rings all over the place so everybody can think, He gave much. You're the one who gets on the street corner and prays out loud in front of everybody just so everybody will go, oh, what a praying man. And you're the one, you're the one who fasts. And when you do, you take your coat and put it over like this. And, and, it, and you go, how are you doing, Paul? I'm doing great. And everybody around the corner is going, he must be fasting. Well, well 21 days so far. But I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. He said, you've done all this to receive the recognition of men. And by the way, buddy, that's all you're going to get. You have your reward in full. I know what you're up to. You're peddling a gospel that's not the gospel at all. You're saying you're doing it for religious reasons. But God exposed him right there on the Damascus Road and said, you are nothing but a covetous man. You make it as out there and you make it as noble and you make it as thoughtful and religious as you want to make it. But all it boils down to is that you're just a flat, covetous man. Let me tell you something. Don't you forget this in presenting the Gospel. You don't have to go out and study science and evolution and all that. Study the Bible when you present the Gospel. But let me tell you something right now. The truth of the matter is, somebody would rather be known as a skeptic than a sinner. Skepticism is thoughtful. Philosophical and wise and intellectual. It's an exercise in exploring existential truth. I just put that in. I don't know what it means, but it sounded good. And it's a way to float around and keep in play. Why is it that in Utah there's a print of a dinosaur and beside it the, the Croatian man? And do something with that and all of that. And all the while, you know what they're doing? They're committing adultery. They're lying to themselves and others and they're just, it's like God saying, you know what? You think it's about science, but I know and you ain't got me fooled. You're just a covetous man. You think it's about religion. You don't have me fooled. You're just a covetous man. And that struck him on the Damascus Road and he said, Lord! And he cried out to him and he was saved. You hear it? Listen, friends. We're going to close. I know that'll be a relief, but I want you to know something. If you ever entertain the notion for one minute, for one minute, that if you get too free, you'll slip back into sin, you do not understand the grace of God. You don't understand it. 
You don't understand the character and nature of God, and you also under, don't understand this. When you got saved, you didn't, you didn't enter into paperwork. You didn't enter into a due set of beliefs. You entered into a relationship. And you're not an ism because Jesus is not an ism. And He made all your isms wasms. And the moment you believe that, you will abandon the ism. And you will become a spirit-filled believer. There's a lawful use of the law and there's an unlawful use of the law. And we better get acquainted with our Bibles so that we can properly use it so we don't keep the lost in confusion and the saved in bondage.